1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking
2: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. To learn more about our leadership development and team building, visit iFlyVirginiaBeach.com.
1: In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you.
0: Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Elevate Your Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. I love to speak to leaders nationally and internationally who not only bring great value to me and my organization, but these are people who I know will bring great value to you and your organization. And today's guest is no exception. Today's guest is Trisha Ben. Trisha is the Chief Community Officer of the C-Suite Network and the General Manager of the Hero Club, which is an invitation-only membership organization for CEOs, founders, and investors. And I have to admit, I'm a member. As an officer of these organizations, her mission is to build a platform and community that accelerates the success of C-level executives, owners, investors, and influencers. She is a leader in creating an executive community of collaboration based on integrity, transparency, and measuring success beyond the numbers alone, a.k.a. The Hero Factor, a book by our mutual friend Jeffrey Hazlett. This approach has driven her more than 20-year track record of industry disruption in building new businesses, revenue streams, and delivering double-digit year-over-year growth. In addition to sitting on multiple business associations and not-for-profit boards, Tricia serves as a senior executive for three enterprise-level organizations in market research, telecommunications, media marketing, and advertising. As a global chief marketing and strategy officer and U.S. managing director with MDC Partners, a $3 billion global holding company, Ben's leadership drove double-digit growth year over year and new contracts with some of the most important impact players in the world. Almost there, folks. This woman has done a lot with her life. An award-winning business leader and international speaker, Ben shares an inspiring, practical, and actionable message that empowers great leaders to take their businesses to the next level. That's why she's here. Trish, welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast.
2: Uh, Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. And I'm so grateful to be here with you. I absolutely, just like you, love nothing more than seeing great leaders succeed and have great impact in their communities. So really thrilled to be here with you and your audience today.
0: That's awesome. You know, there's so many places we could start based on business, based on leadership, based on the C-suite network and and what it's done for me and and what you've done for me and your leadership role within the C-suite network. But let's just take it back to something really simple. I just read your bio, which clearly establishes you as a global leader. How do you approach leadership?
2: For me, there is nothing greater than certainly the responsibility to step up and have the impact you know you can have, but then next level truly is how you inspire, support, and see through the great leadership, the great success of everyone you touch, and that's what it is to create great teams that are succeeding and delivering on outcomes not checklists. And it's also what we see across the entire platform of C-suite executives, owners, influencers in the C-suite network platform. It's a a larger scale. You know, we have 350,000 plus C-suite insiders, but it's the same thing.
0: Totally agree. One of the reasons I love doing these podcasts is I always hear things like outcomes, not checklists. What a key thing for leaders to focus on, right? Because at the end of the day, we are responsible for the outcome, especially if if you have a board of directors in a publicly held organization, or even, you know, in my case, owning my own business, uh, 35 people on my team. Ultimately, I'm responsible for the outcome and it's my job to enable the team to really do what they do. Did you just give us your definition of leadership or is there more to say in terms of how you would define it?
2: If I were to put more detail around it, I would say the first step of great leadership is great support. So, you know, at the end of the day, and you know this, Bob, you just alluded to it as leaders, the more, the higher up we are either in the executive hierarchy or ownership the more responsibility we take at the end of the day. There's no doubt. And when things go wrong, we hold that responsibility, but moving towards success, our role first and foremost is the support of great leaders on our team. So, you know, I'm coming out with my new book. It's almost there. C-suite success, Um, success in the C-suite, you know, it's really truly, and people get this wrong. Let me lead the way. Yes, there's a certain extent of that, and that's, that's when things go wrong. You know? <laughs> but the every day is in the supporting of great leadership coming out in every level of your teams internally and externally to deliver on those outcomes. So then that's something I think people really get caught up on it's not really about you, the higher level you go, the bigger the businesses you're building and scaling. It's really truly about how you support as a leader and deliver greater leadership uh, at every level and and every uh, association throughout your communities that you're serving and working with.
0: Completely agree, and that kind of just reminds me of my definition of leadership, which uh, you know to break it down into just two words, it's enabling others. My job is to enable others to accomplish their objectives, and you know obviously their objectives are in line with with the the mission of the organization. But people also have personal objectives or ob- objectives for personal growth and professional growth, and things outside the organization. And, you know, I really believe strongly in helping those that I lead achieve whatever their, their life's goals and life's objectives are.
2: Well, and that speaks to more of the strategies and tactics of how you support that whole notion of being that empathetic leader, appreciating that there's far more to them than delivering one outcome that you expect from a work perspective, but how it all fits for them into something meaningful, purposeful, something they can celebrate own and really feel pride of delivery on that connectivity that they've done great things and had great impact with the time that they've spent with what they've delivered. That is so critical and it never gets old, as you well know.
0: <laughs> what a way to put a dot on that one. It never gets old. Completely agree. What surprises me in this I don't know if never gets old is the right way to, to identify the following but so many leaders out there still don't understand that. And you know, younger leaders have to go through a learning process obviously and and get some experience. But I'm talking about business owners, I own a small business, you know, small to mid-sized business owners. So many of them still use tactics if you will that are bullying. I'm sure you've encountered some of that in your past. I'm just surprised how many leaders are are out there small to mid-sized business leaders who don't have that respect for their teammates and they, they're, they're bullies. And the dollar is the only thing they ever talk about. Uh, it's just, it's shocking that they're still out there. And I'm sure you've encountered that in your past, as I know I have, you know, and, and sometimes those military leaders really, you know, there's good ones and there's not so good ones. But anyway, can you speak to that at all?
2: I share the sentiment entirely. I find it shocking because at the end of the day, if you truly believe in the mission that you're delivering on, and Bob, you know, for me, you and your service and all of our military and veterans, I'm so grateful and appreciative for that alignment on the mission means that you sacrifice a great deal. The commitment, the engagement, et cetera, is just phenomenal. So so to me, I think about great business that way, great leaders, great business, great impact. So if we think to ourselves as business leaders that are delivering great impact, we have great business models to be able to do that, give back to our communities, create great work environments, create great experiences, product services, whatever it might be, then to me, the whole notion of how you would want to belittle or drag down somebody that is delivering, it just I just can't comprehend it. And it doesn't mean that you don't have the tough conversations. There are tough conversations. Not everything is walking through, you know, tiptoeing through the roses. There are really challenging, difficult conversations to be had. But those can be the most incredible opportunities to really re-engage, re-inspire, and realign around that mission of how we're going to succeed and how that's going to feel and what we're going to be able to do with that success. And to me, that's just so much greater and it feels so much better. And, And I always say... That's one of the things where it becomes addictive. If you could do that for one person, then why not ten, a hundred, 1,000, 10,000 and keep going? You know, yeah. it's it's so incredible. And as business leaders, we have such an incredible opportunity to hold that space and create yeah. a, as a as a contagion.
0: Yeah, a contagion and and addictive. You know, the other word you used, and completely agree. Yeah, I had to unfortunately let somebody go a few months ago. And this person was a was a wonderful person, positive demeanor, great attitude, really wanted to do a good job. This person was in a leadership position that was just a little bit too much, and I had the discussion personally. You know, this was one of my managers, but I had the discussion personally, and of course, I rehearsed for it, practiced for it, you know, make sure that I was prepared to deliver the message as clearly and and in this case as softly as possible. And the way she responded to it was uh, just incredible. I mean, short of saying thank you, you could see the relief and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're still on good terms, but it was one of those difficult discussions. Like you said, you know, sometimes you have to have those difficult discussions. And in this case, it was more difficult because she was so nice about it. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I understand. Bob. But those, those conversations to me, it's important to be transparent, create the mm-hmm. space for those conversations. Make sure that there is uh, that setup for success because in that scenario you become now an ally for her, an advocate.
0: In in this case, there's no question about that. So this was a female, obviously. From your perspective, is being a woman in the C-suite different? Or you know, you're not a man, so it's not like you can can make a concrete comparison. But but what's different from your perspective or what are the challenges? You know, there's books written on this and there's so much discussion about this, but what's your take?
2: It's something that I marvel at. Uh, My, my upbringing was one where I thought women were the ones that kept track (laughs) of financial things and spoke all over the world and ran businesses. And so I didn't have any clue. Um, My mother was a veterinarian. She had me then went right to school, became a veterinarian. Then she had my brother and sister while she did her master's. And it never occurred to me that along the wall in the building of the whole department, she ran, you know, uh, province slash countrywide uh that it was man 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 and then my mother would be the next <laughs> picture as the only woman I, I just it never registered and my grandmother my mother's mother uh she started her own business and had her own money and and there was never any of those kind of scenarios of someone needed to ask a man for money or um
0: permission pay.
2: yeah you yeah. know just this, things where it's ex- It was just so foreign to me. So I actually ended up taking women's studies as my minor just so I could understand what happened out there in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't get it. So, and then I went into public affairs and um, political polling and so on, which tends to be, uh, tended to be a very male dominated space. And then of course, I love business. I love business models. I love creating successful, profitable businesses, great teams. I mean, I just love it all. And so I got just incredible opportunities very early on uh, where I decided I could use this model. This is amazing. When you make a lot of money, you get to do what you want and nobody messes with you. And what that meant in the old model was you could do anything you wanted from a bad perspective, you know, um, burn and churn at the very least and Mm -hmm. uh, create unhappy workplaces and so on. Um, A lot of ego, a lot of different things like that happening. And for me, it meant I could really empower great teams because that meant I had the retention of staff, retention of clients. I could charge more because they were getting greater delivery of the service. And so it really just, it grew on itself. So I had this incredible window and opportunity. And it's interesting as you go through the different age bands. So I just turned 50 last year. And after building various businesses, integrating businesses, uh, I've been, uh, you know, an international uh, executive my entire adult career. And there's these different kind of spans of time. So, you know, now I sit in (laughs) rooms where I'm the only woman again, you know, it's really quite odd. And at 50, it's my age grouping that in university reached parity in education.
0: Ah, how interesting.
2: Yes. So the promise was, well, there's parity in education. So by the time we reached 50, 60, and so on, we would see parity in the C-suite, in the boardrooms, and so on. And the numbers, as you know, Bob, are abysmal. So my perspective on this is one where I am really, truly dedicated to creating trusting relationships in a community where people have the opportunity to interact and get to learn and understand and know each other in those trusted relationships, to think of each other for different opportunities that arise. And so I am a huge believer that uh, the systemic bias, right, where those those opportunities are so far and few between, the opportunities aren't given just because it's not known, it's not created in terms of that bond. Because the C-suite, you don't get a C-suite role, you don't get onto boards because you are the most talented or you have the best experience, you get there because somebody on that board knows and trusts you.
0: Yeah, trust. Trust is the biggest factor in the workplace. And it doesn't matter if you're the CEO or the newest person on the team. When we interview potential teammates, we're looking for moral and ethical character. We'll teach the skill set, we'll bring the requisite toolkit, if you will. That trust, that moral and ethical character is huge. You mentioned a couple other things too that just really took me back in time ego. And then your twenties, your thirties, your forties, your fifties, you know, when you're talking about parody, as you know, uh, in my, with my military background, there's a lot of physicality, a lot of physical fitness in my twenties. It's all about how much can I lift? How fast can I run? You know, in my case, Navy diver, how deep can I dive? How much can, can, how late can we stay out? But ego, it was a big part of that. And, you know, especially when you got a team of type A's, but my, my point is, uh, and then in my thirties, you know, it's the, the ego starts to adjust a little bit. The body starts to hurt a little bit from all the abuse. You know, your 40s, if things are going the right way, your ego corrects even more in your 40s. -hmm. Your body hurts even more in your 40s. (laughs) (laughs) Having entered the 50s a few years ago, I think I've got my ego in check. Uh, It is something that I, I check on every day, if you will. And then I don't care too much about the physicality. I care about the lab work. So, you know, it's all all about uh, maintaining proper cholesterol and glucose, et cetera. So ego for me uh, was a big thing. And the last thing you said was you get to these boardrooms because people trust you and trust is something that it takes your whole career to build and you could lose it in a day, you know, so it's, it's critical.
2: It's really true. And the fact is trust is extended. So it really matters who your community is. So, Bob, how I know you, how I work with you, I know that if you tell me, Trisha, we just had this recently, you can trust this person. I got it. Right. Because I know, love and trust you. I know that can be extended to who you tell me that can be extended to. Now, I don't just take it that anybody that's connected to you. No, you've shared that with me. <laughs> and and that's, that's what trust is, is that continued extension. And systemic bias is just not realizing that, that those, those things aren't happening, right? Uh, creating scenarios where it's not reinforcing a wider, you know, a wider birth. So anyone listening, if you hear yourself saying, and we've all done cool. this, but I love women. I love men. <laughs> you know I love, you put in the fill in the blank.
0: Yeah. You're in yeah. trouble.
2: You're in trouble. That has nothing to do with it. And I pray you do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right.
2: But it's, you know, how are we extending those opportunities? And I think also being really, truly trying to be empathetic to different scenarios that different groupings have, we can really only know our own experience. And recently we had, um, and I facilitated this phenomenal conversation with one of our C-suite network leaders Her name is Sherry James, she's uh, a DEI uh, expert, and she wouldn't like me saying that because it's more about belonging and, you know, and uh, that full extension of everybody being included in a conversation, so let me, I should probably correct right away, but uh, we had this incredible conversation, and one of the shares in that conversation that a Black woman experienced was just beyond imagination. And my skin is as pale white as it gets. I mean, embarrassingly white. I have a lot of makeup for you to be able to see me, Bob. And Chris is anyone- from
0: Canada, in case yeah. we didn't mention that already. So,
2: <laughs> anyone listening? Oh my goodness, I could use some sun. So, the experience that was shared was so beyond anything I could possibly imagine that it really was a shocker to say, oh my goodness, if I even had a remote piece of that, what I say or the frustration I feel or what I might assume when someone says something not intending negative could very easily be shaped, you know? And so how much more grace can I give? How much more can I seek understanding? How much more- effort can I make to be in communities where I can learn, grow, and create those trusted relationships?
0: This is a, a kooky example, but I'll, I'll just share kind of a thought I had this morning. You know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, run fast, things start to hurt. I care about my labs. So part of that is yoga. So I've been doing yoga regularly for about two and a half years now. And there's this woman who, who shows up to yoga class and, and she's there. I go three times a week. She's there every single time. Today, I went for a fourth time and she was there. So she's probably there seven days a week, mm-hmm. um, but she doesn't look like somebody who does yoga. She's, she's, you know, a, a very heavy set woman. And the 20 year old Bob would have said, what the hell are you? Why bother? You know, and the 30 year old Bob probably would have said that too. But the 50 year old Bob says, you go girl, you're here doing it. You're doing the best you can. And That's, that's all anybody can ask for. You know, and I tell my kids, you don't have to be, my son plays hockey. My daughter plays volleyball. You don't have to be the best on the team. You just get out there and do your best.
2: Yes. Yes, absolutely. And make sure that you're taking care of yourself. You know, I, I love your focus always on making sure you're hydrated and you're, <laughs> you're staying healthy, you're monitoring, you know, where you are with your own personal health. And, and I would add to that list sleep, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. so frequently, you know, we have executives that celebrate, and this is something when you're in your twenties, thirties, maybe even into your forties, but if you're showcasing, celebrating that you don't sleep, Your ability to act effectively as a business leader is massively challenged, massively compromised. And and all you have to do is look at any sleep research to figure that out. It's incredible how impaired you are with reduced sleep.
0: So, So executive functioning, right? Your ability to see, literally, your ability to see, your ability to hear, and your ability to think. That's your executive functioning. And absolutely, uh, sleep deprivation, or, or not even sleep deprivation, but poor quality sleep, all of that. And of course, you've been to enough of my discussions in the full Elevate Your Leadership presentation. I, I really dive deep on rest, hydration, nutrition, exercise, yep. brain and heart health, and lifelong learning. When I connected all those things, I, you know, they were all there oh, yeah. throughout my 20s, my 30s, my 40s. They were all there, but I didn't connect them all and say, this is how they enhance each other. And when I figured that out you you go from man it's, when is it going to be five o'clock to it's five o'clock already you know yeah,
2: so. <laughs> yeah well and and the other thing is your ability to have fun and enjoy that time, you know uh we have to be having fun. Life is way too short to be miserable in what we're doing. And if you haven't, if you don't have those things in place that you just said, Bob, your ability to have fun is again severely limited. And that that takes away the creativity and the, you know, how to solve the problems. And that, as you said, you know, as executives, that is our challenge every day. How are we going to solve for problems? Nobody comes to us saying, everything in the world is wonderful. Have a (laughs) great day you know, that's not our job.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey boss, just wanted to tell you, everything is wonderful.
2: There could be 99 things that are absolutely incredible. Amazing. You will have to deal with the one thing that is. That, an and S-
0: that's S- the one thing everyone's going to come and tell you about. Yeah.
2: Only thing you're going <laughs> to learn about as the leader. So away you go.
0: <laughs> that's so you said something else though. I mean, this might be an epiphany for me as well. The fun factor again, that that's been out there somewhere, but you just helped me link it. You helped me lasso it and reel it in. I really focus on culture within my organization. For the new listeners out there, I own a, a business called iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have done it. It's very fun. It's a fun activity. Uh, I have 35 people on my team, most of them in their 20s, some in their 30s, a couple in their 40s, and then there's me. Whether it's my business or a restaurant or whatever the organization is, People want to come to work. They want to enjoy coming to work. They want to enjoy being around the people that they spend so much of their time with. And that's called culture. That's a key component of culture. And and that's something I spent a lot of time thinking about. So, fun factor. Love it.
2: It's so important, Bob. And here's the thing it's not cheesiness. You know, oh, we'll make it fun. We'll put, you know, whatever the latest. You know, a foosball table or like, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is, it doesn't matter <laughs> what it is because you can play in so many different ways. And that might be little jokes. It might be little, um, you know, little games you play to get through things uh, with my business partner. Uh, we'll poke each other with how many emails <laughs> are in our inbox, you know, and uh-huh. that's just, we have hundreds, if not more than a thousand emails just in our own individual main mailbox, let alone everything else in terms of communication, all the social platforms, all of our other emails and aliases and so on. I mean, there's so much. So that's a way of making it fun. Hey, I'm down to 20. What are you at? You know, (laughs) oh, you know,
0: there is so much. Holy cow. So we're going to pick up on that. Folks, we're talking to Trisha Ben, the chief community officer of the C-Suite Network, and the general manager of the Hero Club, and we are going to take a quick timeout for capitalism. Trisha and I are both good capitalists, so we will be right back. And we are back talking to Trisha Ben, the Chief Community Officer of the C-Suite Network and General Manager of the Hero Club, somebody who I have the honor of calling a personal friend and somebody who I've known for probably four or so years now, and we've interacted at many events, either in person or in, in this virtual format. But we, you know, we talk all things leadership and your background in, in leading is really diverse. You know, we, we, you used the word diversity earlier in, in kind of a different context, but can you just help us understand, um, how you, how you've been shaped as a leader by being involved in so many different types of organizations?
2: Uh, thank you, Bob. You know, it, it is, I feel like I've had these different chunks of life, um, First, I have to say I grew up on a farm and I grew up around farming people. My mother became a veterinarian and that teaches you everyone is useful. Everyone is useful. There is no excuse. It doesn't matter what your body parts are. You are talking about being a woman. You don't get to say, oh, I'm not bailing today because <laughs> <laughs> I have female body parts. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> we, we are all delivering. And, and you know, and that has to be done. There's a mission that's absolutely essential in serving all of the care of a farm. Uh, so, so, you know, step number one, and I saw that both of my parents delivered, I was expected to deliver. Then I became a competitive figure skater. I trained at the Olympic training center in Canada, six days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day. And guess what? You have short-term, midterm, long-term goals, and you set out to achieve them and you deliver and you toughen up. I had someone on my team this week say, Trisha, you're so incredibly tough. And I was thinking, when you were figure skating, how many times did you fall? (laughs) I mean, I couldn't possibly calculate how many times I fell because that's what you do. You fall and fall and fall until you fall less frequently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's no, it's it's also called learning. (laughs) Yes.
2: There's, there's, there's no not falling. It's just less frequently. And that's, you know, you see that in the, the athletes that we see in the Olympics and, and so on. It's, it's not that they never fall. They're just trying to get to that less frequently on that day, you know, <laughs> and, and that's what all of the exercise and, and all of the mental preparation, physical preparation, et cetera, is all about is less of it or more consistency, so to speak. Yeah. And, and then in my business life, it really truly has been just this passion to be able to deliver Great team builds great business models that allowed great things to happen. So I feel like you know, with the different things that I've done in building different businesses from political fairs and political polling, and uh, literally with every kind of client you can possibly imagine, communications testing. I wrote all of the press releases for a North America-wide company, uh, all of those kinds of things through to building a full insights practice inside of over a $20 billion company to the agency holding company that MDC Partners was and having PL responsibilities for one of our uh, New York-based businesses. And now here in C-Suite, really scaling out this entire incredible platform that C-Suite Network is, I feel honored every single day that what I get to do is work with the most incredible people on the planet, just like you, Bob, And the only rule I have every day is that I have to create amazing business models that my internal teams, my external teams all want to wrap around, be on that mission with me and help deliver that great scaling success so we keep getting to do it and have that great impact across all of our communities. And that's that's the culture piece you were talking about from an entire community perspective. Here in the C-suite, we're about great business leaders creating great business models. You have to have a sustainable business model. And I love that part. And then you do something with that. We're not mm-hmm. having our success just to be able to thump our chests and say, we've got the most toys. We want to be able to do great things in our communities, serve our communities in so many ways. And I know you've done that in so many ways, Bob. Everyone across our platform has that DNA of it needs to matter. Success, just to say it, is meaningless. It's being able to have that impact that makes it really, truly motivating, inspiring, and something worth continuing on the mission for, on the journey for, and bringing others into
0: I can tell you quite simply, that has been my experience over the last four years. And, you know, I didn't know what I was looking for, but I was looking for something. And that is, you know, what you've sought out to create. I would say congratulations because I'm the protege, so to speak, or I I just feel like I've grown so much in the last four years personally and professionally, right? Professionally, obviously, is kind of the, the main trade space, but personally as well. And I know I know that that's a focus inside and outside of your organizations. So it's working, keep going. And I love being part of this. And, and I mean, my business acumen and, and my my ability to see through the fog, my ability to not worry so much about the fog, you know, mm-hmm. there's all these things that go into it. It's great that you've taken your life's journey and wound up where you are now to really help others, Uh, in the business community. And I will say this too, the hero club, the C-suite, the hero club, thought leader council, you alluded to it. They, they are selective. They're selective in that you have to bring things for each other. And they literally have this kind of metaphor, the story where, you know, come over for dinner the first time. Awesome. Good. Good to meet you. How's the rest of that go?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Second time. Wonderful. Wonderful. Third time you're bringing the hot plate. (laughs) That's right. you know,
0: so. <laughs> That's right. Yeah,
2: absolutely. But but again, coming back to culture, it's really critical that you set that space. So, you know, Bob, any community space that that C-suite exists in, we share the principles, relevancy, reach, reciprocity and respect. And that is all a, an encapsulation of what we can promise in the C-suite space and that we all stand for together together in that space. And so that really just sets the tone. There are other communities that we're all part of where we think, oh my goodness, right? And we'll be in various stages of trying to fix, trying to figure out, trying to extricate ourselves. You know, there's all those kinds of things, but here, this is where we are. You know, this is what we do. This is who we are to each other. And that's so important. And then, In terms of business deliverables, aligning people around outcomes can be very challenging when you're doing a culture shift, but so incredibly empowering when you're looking at uh, the orientation to those outcomes. So the business metrics, you know, we we talk about culture a lot, Bob, and I think sometimes people get confused that we want to make people feel nice and we want to give people hugs and but it's a business. Yes, it is. Yeah. a business. But when you're aligning true values in terms of your, your care, your empathy for those that you are side to side with on the mission, then you have the opportunity to really focus on those outcomes. And those metrics become something that is deliverable against, as opposed to completely overwhelming out there, something I can't, control, deliver on alone, and none of us can really truly deliver on any of the outcomes we seek alone. Uh, so totally when we wrap that culture around those metrics that are most critical, they'll be our, you know, our sales, our funnel, you know, yeah. and all yeah. things that we want to be able to achieve as an organization, it might be our philanthropic efforts, etc. cetera. Then, um, then we get to metrics that matter and that people can feel that not only, The success and the journey to the success, but also what that success is able to deliver in their community.
0: A friend of mine, Marty Strong, he he calls it cardinal direction, but it's Mm -hmm. it's another way of saying exactly what you just said. You know, you bring everybody along. We establish a cardinal direction. You know, when everybody it's a shared vision, essentially, right? When everybody recognizes that, everybody uh, figures out how they can contribute to it. They contribute to it. They feel good about their role and their contribution, and. Yeah, that's huge. Real quick, as you were speaking, 2 fa FAA-18 Hornets flew over. So I I am coming to our listeners from Virginia Beach, Virginia. So if you hear the jet noise in the background, we call that the sound of freedom. But I don't think it interfered with your audio. So uh. we're getting close to the end. I want to ask you about your book. Let me do three quick questions. What's the title? What's it about? Why'd you write it?
2: So the title is Success in the C-Suite, Great Leaders, Business, Impact. (laughs) So, So, you know, very much aligning everything I believe in terms of why we succeed as leaders in business, where we could be pigeonholed as, you know, what I was just talking about, Bob, where it's like, oh, you care about people. What about the metrics? No, this delivers faster, larger and more sustainably on the impact with that success. So,
1: okay.
2: and then and then, my subtitle is Map, Map Your C-Suite Success in Eight Simple Steps. And the reason that I wrote the book, interestingly enough, I thought early on in my life, wouldn't it be amazing if I had something of value to share in a book one day? And I love words and I don't read as much as I want to, but I do read pretty extensively. And so that was always something I kind of amused myself with over the years And then I had someone approach me to say, look, you should be writing a book. Let's get this done. This has actually become something that I've had to frame in the position of service. What can I share that will create value for people to understand the framing of what real C-suite success is? And Bob, you know this. We don't ever say what success is. We say we want to help you accelerate your success. We have Mm -hmm. four pillars to do that. We have our networking and education. We have our media and distribution. We have our professional services. We have our marketplace. But we never, ever, ever say what success is. And that's because every single one of our leaders, partners across the entire platform has a different definition of what success is for them. And so we want to support that vision, not somebody else's vision of what success is. And so whether your ambition is to be the CEO, of, you know, enterprise sized organization or an influencer that is impacting lives in the coaching and consulting you're doing with a small mastermind group or anything else.
0: You know? uh-huh. <laughs> and, I, and, and there's I, a lot. It, there's a lot out there.
2: Oh my goodness, investing with, you know, startups. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. a million different things that you can do to create incredible success, give back to your communities and so on. So this is truly my opportunity to share the insights of the last, you know, 20 some odd years working with private sector, public sector, not-for-profit government leaders and my own business builds to share some of that structure that creates, the opportunity for true success.
0: I can't wait to read it. When will that be? When's it coming out?
2: I have a keynote speech that I'm giving at the end of March. So with any, <laughs> with any luck, Bob, it will be the end of March 2022. So that's the the goal, but it's very, very close.
0: Okay. Did you use C uh, C-suite assets to publish, you know, edit and publish and all that?
2: We have C-Suite Network Publishing, and, and so this, this is actually a publisher that we had before we had that in place. Okay. Uh, mine will kind of overlap in different ways, but so excited. We have so much more coming in all of our C-Suite publishing space. Also, uh, we have our book launch parties, our bestseller TV episodes, all, yeah. of, doing all of that C-Suite Network um, yeah,
0: that is so cool. I can't wait to, you know, I'm I'm nine tenths of the way done with my book. And, uh, you know,
2: <laughs> I can't wait to read yours either, Bob.
0: <laughs> it, it's kind of fun to write it too. you know, c- kind of my discovery in the writing process is you get to know yourself a little bit better. And you you also, in my case, you know, there's been defining moments in my life. I didn't extract all the value out of at the time, but when yeah. you go back and you really think about these things, you know, you go, man, that that really, that changed me, hopefully for the better, you know but but that that moment, that event, that person that that encounter that changed me, and i need to I need to relish that part of my discovery um what what have we left out what What else can we learn about Trisha Ben?
2: You know one thing you mentioned, and we started talking a little bit about diversity. Here's one thing uh, diversity, adversity, disruption, I mean all of those kinds of things that feel or can feel. Daunting. Somebody has a different opinion. Uh, Somebody might think something differently than I do. The market changing overnight. uh, You you know, these kinds of things that feel very, very challenging. I think it's so important to reframe as quickly as possible. And again, make sure you have those trusted people by your side that when the chips are down (laughs) and when there are challenges from that perspective, That you're looking at those things not as the most overwhelming you know oh my goodness kind of what will the world become challenge but truly an incredible opportunity and so you know one of my chapters in my book is how you truly take those scenarios and make them into a superpower and aligning on mission knowing you're going to get through these things together when you bring the diversity of a team together to, to win and everybody truly does have different strengths, different communities, different ways of looking at things. Oh, my goodness. There's where you can create really phenomenal success. And so I think that whole notion of how we look at what we've been taught to think of as these huge challenges are really enormous opportunities for creating greater success and taking advantage of new things that are happening. Like when I think disruption, I think I get excited because it's going to happen. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so, okay. How do we capitalize on this? And it, it, I mean, my goodness, COVID is such a great example of mm-hmm. massive disruption. And although I never want to go through 2020 again, It was the hardest year on our business. And for so many of our leaders across the platform, even when their businesses took off tremendously, the challenges were enormous, you know, supply chain issues and staffing. And there's just so many things, even if businesses were, you know, growing exponentially. But for C-Suite Network, for example, that those enormous challenges catapulted us immediately three to five years ahead in our strat plan.
0: Wow. That is incredible. That's remarkable.
2: Right. So so I really I think that's something that's just so important in terms of leadership is being that steady till making sure you've got people by your side that say, that's right. We're going to we're going to succeed through this. You know, (laughs) we're going to figure this out. You know, is it challenging? Of course it is. Um, But but we're going to win. So um, and I love that analogy of, you know, you might lose a battle here or there, but you're going to win the war. Let's go and we'll figure it out.
0: Everyone is useful, like you said earlier. Just touching on the diversity thing real quick. I wrote a chapter about diversity and inclusion, diversity and inclusion. And, you know, I was in the Navy for 26 years, U.S. Navy Special Operations. And uh, while it's not a perfect organization, it is certainly the most diverse and inclusive uh, organization that I've ever experienced. My private sector experience has been somewhat different. And I have to say I am surprised. Not in, I, I mean, I, I, I've awoken, if you will, and I don't mean woke that way at all you know, I'm in a different culture now. I'm in a different environment than I was when I was in the military. Here's where I'm going with this. And here's what I discovered with my business. The, The key to diversity is inclusion, which is essentially what you said, but that's literally one of the chapters in my book or one of the thought, one of the main themes in, in that chapter is that when you hear everybody's voice, that's where diverse people show up, diverse opinions are shared. So, Inclusion for me, where I'm at in my journey right now, for me, the key to diversity is inclusion. Well, you know,
2: things like, so perfect example of that, Bob, is we've experienced through the virtual life we've had to live through that, guess what? Executives can be parents. Big shocker. Guess what?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Many are. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um, And yet there was this ethos previously that, heaven forbid, it would look like, you know, you... You're a parent. And I think as we look at different opportunities that opens up, does somebody who's working from a home office deliver less if they're able to be there at the house when their children get home from school or there to make sure that they're off to the bus? I don't believe so. Oh, in
0: my experience, they deliver more, Uh, you know, moral and ethical people feel compelled to go the extra mile because they're not sitting at the office and they don't have the 30 minute drive each way. So that adds an hour to their workday, perhaps to their life. Perhaps I am convinced as long as people are of good moral and ethical character, you get greater productivity. If, if the telecommuting, you know, if that, if that works with the business model.
2: Agreed. And, you know, so, so this notion of, you know, what makes a great leader, again, you, you look at it and say, okay, so traditionally, a man who has a family and children is responsible, is likable, is strong, capable, right? And a woman is a mom. <laughs> so it, it, and it wouldn't necessarily make her more uh, attractive in an executive role. And now, clearly, there's no difference. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there are opportunities to really rethink how... Those kind of systemic things seep into the perception and opportunity that we give to people. And again, an enormous opportunity to focus on outcomes.
0: To focus on outcomes. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, Just brilliance. This is just brilliance. And, And for the listeners out there, if you lead an organization, or if you are going to lead an organization, or if you want to lead an organization, or if you want to build your own organization, the conversation that Trisha Ben and I just had is something that you should listen to probably two, three, four times a year, because these concepts and these behaviors that we have, they're perishable, right? We have to remind ourselves of these things. It's not that we're not good people. It's just that there is a lot of clutter in the day-to-day, and we have to kind of reground and re-baseline and remind ourselves that I need to do good I need to help others feel good, and I need to help others achieve their objectives. So, so Trisha Van, Chief Community Officer at the C Suite Network. I can't wait till we meet in New York and Boston for the Hero Club event, first live event we've had in a few years. But, but what a what a wonderful discussion, Trisha. And is there anything else you want to say before we sign off?
2: I just want to thank you so much, Bob, for your leadership for creating this space where you know we as a listening community to what you've created in this podcast can really think to focusing on our leadership, how we're keeping ourselves, you know, in that space to be able to provide the best we possibly can and deliver successful businesses that have impact. (laughs) So thank you so much, Bob.
1: Thank you for listening to the elevate your leadership podcast to contact Bob directly, or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com. Robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com and connect with him on LinkedIn.